Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davison, and I'm your host here at Grace Story Podcast. I'm so glad that you've joined us because we have a, a great show today talking about everything adverse childhood events or experiences and ACE scores. What do they mean? What do they mean for me on my journey of restoration? And I tell you what, it's a lot to uh, break down. So we had to go out and get an expert. And we have on the show today, LaShonda Sugg. She is the owner and uh, counselor at Labors of Love Counseling and Consulting. She's also the host of Labors of Love podcast, a podcast that just gets real about mental health, trauma, relationships. They interview guests uh, asking about their labor of love and explore how they are impacting their community with that labor of love. Uh, you can look at that on any Apple podcast or anywhere you really get your podcast uh, to listen today. Lots of good resources. LaShonda, how are you doing today? You know, Nate, I am, I'm doing okay. There's a lot going on in the world, um, and so I, I can't, I will be honest and say that I am significantly impacted, um, but I have been using my skills and my tools that I teach other people, and so with that, I've I'm able to show up fully authentic and be present. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. And, you know, I like that authenticity, using the tools. We're all about that here at Grace Story Community, uh, the ministry rather, breaking things down so we understand them and then equipping ourselves to actually deal with it because life is not going to stop. Um, so ACE scores. Let's just jump right in. And this is very timely for any time, but especially now. Adverse childhood experiences. Um, what is that exactly? Yeah. So to give kind of a little history of, of how um, we have come to measure and look at adverse childhood experiences, we have to go back to the mid-90s. Uh, Kaiser Permanente was conducting a weight loss clinic. And uh, Dr. Folletti, Dr. Vincent Folletti, was kind of over this clinic. And what he found is that annually, like yearly, they would have like a 50% dropout rate of participants. And it wasn't that the participants weren't losing weight. They actually were losing weight, but then they would drop out of the program. He also found it interesting that like they would go on to, so their weight loss wasn't as gradual. It would like come in spurts and then they would gain weight back the weight they lost back, even in excess sometimes. So he was curious about that. And so he did some face-to-face uh, -face interviews with some of the dropout participants. And what he found is that the vast majority of them had uh, adverse experiences in their childhood. And that was intriguing to him. So this led to the ACE study, which was over 17,000 people. And it was very representative of the national census at the time, right? So this was a study that made it difficult to other. You couldn't say, oh, that's them over there. Nope, it was pretty representative of the people as the country is comprised. And what they found is that a lot of people had adverse childhood experiences. And when they say adverse childhood experiences, they were looking for 10 things. So individually within the person, they were looking for physical abuse. Uh, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, or psychological abuse. They were looking for emotional neglect and physical neglect. Difference being physical neglect is kind of food insecurity, not having a home, things like that, right? And then within the household, they were looking for things like domestic violence. They were looking for mental illness. They were looking for um, drug abuse or addiction. They were looking for if there's someone in the home who had been incarcerated, um, and parental separation. So that could have been death. It could have been divorce. It could have been whatever, but parental separation. So those 10 things is what they were looking for. And they just had a set of questions, right, that you would answer. And depending on how many were positive, yes, I've had this, and yes, I've had that, that is your ACE score. So the ACE score is out of 10. And if you've had two of these things that I just named, then your ACE score would be two. If you've had seven, it would be seven. And what the ACE study found is the higher number of ACEs that, that is directly correlated to health outcomes in that person's future. 
And so comparative to a person who has zero ACEs, a person with four ACEs may be um, more likely to engage in smoking, alcoholism, um, COPD, diabetes. So it wasn't just behavioral health outcomes. It was also medical health outcomes. A person with an ACE score of six or higher, 700 times more likely to be an alcoholic, 1,200 times more likely to attempt suicide. So they were looking at the correlation between what happens in childhood and these adverse experiences and how that directly impacts kind of the later quality of life all the way up to early death. So listening to you talk about that, that's some pretty heavy stuff, first of all. Um, and also some pretty scary stuff, because if I uh, go and I'll ask you in a minute where I might find this score, if I'm just going to find out. But if I go through that and I'm uh, an ace of six, you said, or higher, those chances of suicide or drug abuse, th- those types of things begin to compound and that affects my physical health or my longevity of life. Um, but I'd, I'd like to clarify, that's not like a death sentence, right? That's not that's going to happen, right? That is correct. And to just to, to tease it out a little bit more, we have a tendency sometimes to think that these, these experiences inform our behavior and then our behavior then leads to these health outcomes. But even when they controlled for behavior outcomes, right? So they looked at people who maybe didn't develop the behavioral outcomes like smoking, um, promiscuity was one of the things on there, um, drug use, alcohol consumption people still had greater difficulties with their physical health. So people, even if they did not smoke, had COPD, right? So this was a direct correlation to the physical medical outcomes of people who have these adverse experiences. Now, to be fair, these are these experiences without any kind of intervention and resilience building. And so it's not a death sentence. It's not to say that if you scored a seven, on the ACE um, questionnaire that this has to be your outcome. But what it does mean is it says, hey, I probably should get do some work on this. I probably should involve myself in restorative practices like therapy, like a group that can address the childhood experiences and just help develop healthy lifestyles in the moment. I think one of the biggest things that strikes me as I work in trauma, because that's my specialty, is we sometimes, we, society, our culture, simplify things to, well, just change your diet, right? Well, if you just change your diet, that, that would be that. Or if you would just stop doing this. But there are very few justs in the world. And when I think specifically, um, if you haven't seen my picture, can't tell by my voice, I'm an African-American woman, <laughs> Right. And within the African-American community, there are a number of uh, diseases that I am predisposed to as an African-American woman. Um, A lot of the ones that were just named on the ACE study, right? Hypertension, high blood pressure, um, COPD, like all of these things. And for a long time, the narrative has been that's personal choice. You know, people have ended up in these situations medically And this has arisen amongst COVID because a lot of the predisposed um, diseases that complicate COVID-19 were things that I just named. So people's narratives have been, some people's narratives have been, why should I have to stay in the house, right? I'm healthy. I'm fine. Why do I have to social distance and stay in the house to help protect people who have just made bad lifestyle choices? If they had eaten better, if they had exercised. And that's a convenient narrative that completely takes out the impact of adverse childhood experiences and all the things that lead up to adverse childhood experiences. Absolutely. You know, one of the things we really push uh, at Gray Story Ministries is that holistic side. You, you don't get to just concentrate on one thing because it's convenient. And you're right, our society, we we like the fix it fast stuff. We like the drive through Valvoline oil changes and we like the pickup at Kroger and we're the same with our, our health and our, our mental health as well. And our issues in society that we have, we want, well, if we would just, and if we could fix this one thing, 
uh, and, and it's just not like that. You touched on one thing um, earlier a little bit, but how common are um, ACE scores that are you know a little bit higher, that, that four, five, six? Um, how common is that? Yeah, so recent data through um, the CDC um, is taking kind of um, information for participants who completed the questionnaire from 2011 and from 2011 to 2014. Now, I admit being in 2020, that seems like it's far away. But when we realized that the data we had been operating on for a really long time was from like 1996, <laughs> 1997. And what this has said is that um, of all the participants, 38% of the participants who took the questionnaire had zero ACEs. Okay. So what that's telling you is, look at me, quick math, 62% of people have at least one ACE, right? One adverse childhood experience which is going to directly correlate to later outcomes in life. 24% had one ACE, 13% had two ACEs, 9% had three ACEs, and then 16% had four or more. Also realizing that, you know, ACEs kind of travel in pairs, you know, they're grouped together. It's, you know, and, and so it's, 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 as we see this happening, not uncommon for people to have more than one, even though 24%, you know, of people, there, there are more people who don't have any than who just have one because usually they're combined together, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, that does make sense. Now, are there certain populations or, or age group or who, who, are there people that are greater risk is what I'm trying to ask for this? Yeah, absolutely. And so for that question, I'm going to reference um, if you are interested in learning more about this, you, it's tons of information out there, but the CDC website is going to be your best bet. And we'll put a link accurate, in the show notes for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Accurate information. And so there, there was a, a pyramid that started with ACEs on the bottom, adverse childhood experiences. And then this pyramid went up to the top to talk about like the impact of those adverse experiences throughout the lifespan. What I very, very much appreciate is um, starting, I believe it happened this year. When I first saw it, it was in January. So very recently, they have amended this triangle to include what comes before adverse childhood experiences. And the two parts of the pyramid that's under that, the foundation is historical trauma or generational embodiment. So when we talk about is there a higher risk, yes, there is a higher risk for people and peoples who have experienced historical trauma, who have this generational embodiment because trauma lives in the body. Um, don't, not sure, you know, this, this has been said before, but many people think that trauma is a head thing. If you can just forget about the past, if you can just get over it, then you can move forward. Not true. Trauma lives in the body. And so when your mind forgets, your body remembers. Um, I want to give a reference to a book called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, an amazing book that talks about um, how trauma is stored in the body. And so, yes, historical trauma or this generational embodiment of trauma. And then above that is social conditions, social conditions or kind of this local context. So who's more at risk of um, having higher ACEs? People and people who have experienced historical trauma that leads to social conditions that result in adverse childhood experiences. In this country of America, that would be African Americans, Latino, um, Latinx. It would be your Native Americans. It would be people living in poverty, right? So there is this racial disparity, but there is also this economic disparity, um, which sometimes they overlap for sure. But these are the historical experiences and the social conditions that lead to those adverse childhood experiences, the 10 that I named before. Absolutely. And just, I know this is anecdotal, but you know, as my, I've worked uh, in two different inner city level one trauma centers, the emergency department, and for the community surrounding us, we were their only source of, of um, medical help. Uh, we were their primary care. Uh, because they didn't have vehicles to go anywhere, they would walk to us. Um, they would have reoccurring issues just because there was no follow-up. Um, and then, you know, there's also things that, I don't want to get on too much of a rabbit trail, but 
access to groceries, um, those simple things, um, access to, uh, you know, counseling, um, those different things that you, we, we sometimes take for granted that can mitigate scores that are higher, um, and help stave off some of those, um, symptoms that you may experience later on in life with the resiliency. Yes. But, uh, can you talk a little bit about what those resources might be, what people might have to mitigate those big scores? You said it's not a death sentence. What makes it not a death sentence? Yes. One thing I just want to reference there um, before I go on, access to grass. Does that sound funny? If you live in a community where you, <clears throat> excuse me, where you travel to and from and you see grass, privilege. When's the last time you've seen a water fountain? right, or access to clean water, water sources in your neighborhood, parks with trails. Um, so we're talking aesthetically, we're talking play. We are talking about access to clean food, whole food, right? And and these are a lot of the communities that are significantly impacted by ACES, their food deserts. And if people want to get and maintain access, they have to have some mode of transportation that takes them to the neighborhood that allows them to get that food. Well, because of systemic oppression, areas that have high quality access can also make determinations that they don't want public transportation to run through their city or stop at a certain point. And so, again, I'm bringing that up because without full context, our brains make up stories, period. That's just what our brains do. It's how we've survived as a species. And the story we'll make up is, why don't they just? If you ever find yourself, whether you're talking about yourself, I don't know just, or your, your family member, or something you're seeing on TV, and you think, why don't they just know that you're speaking from a place of privilege? I mean, that's just what it is. And then to be able to back yourself down and say, I wonder what is the historical context, whether it's the historical context of that person or the con historical context of that family or the historical context of that race of how they've gotten there. So I think that's important to note. The things that make this not a death sentence, so to, to give a little more context, once you acknowledge the historical trauma and the social conditions that it creates, you have uh, these adverse childhood experiences. And what the adverse childhood experiences do, whether you have one or 10, is it disrupts your neurodevelopment. Um, when we are children from zero to about six years old, for sure, I mean, zero to three and four and five, your brain is exploding. Neuronal networks are developing. And they're not just developing around interactions you're having, but around the whole whole world, like how the world functions, you know that by the time you start kindergarten because your brain has formed for and around the environment that you find yourself. Why this is important to understand is a child who is experiencing numerous adverse experiences, their brain is developing around those adverse experiences, which is why we can't compare Jack and Jill who grew up in two different homes even if they were next door to one another, because their brains are developed around what is happening in that home. Because of this disrupted neurodevelopment, that leads to social, emotional, and cognitive impairment. So when we look at um, what, what is now called our special education classes um, and people who have a difficult time socializing and the emotional regulation is difficult because if you had all of these adverse experiences, you probably don't have a lot of safe people to help you regulate. Now, I'm using those words because they get to the heart of what's happening. But to make it plain, what most people are saying is the bad kids. These are the bad kids, okay? The ones we go, why can't they just mm. sit down, be quiet, be respectful, right? Because their interrupted or disrupted neural development around those experiences has led to these impairments. And when you are socially, emotionally, and or cognitively impaired, you have to adopt behaviors to help you survive and, and help you navigate this world and system. But that happens to usually be risky behavior, as we call it, right? So um, this then leads to other social problems, other diseases, and all of those as a, 
as an adaptation or as a response to the behaviors. But we as a culture have a tendency to think that the pyramid starts at, at behaviors. And so we start the foundation of a person's character at their behaviors. And then we say, you know, if they would have made different decisions. But with, with this understanding, what ACES gives us, then we got to back it all the way down. And so early intervention is one thing that is so important. What that means is how do we help the process of healing historical trauma? Um, sometimes there is a narrative that what happened in the past happened in the past. We need to start right now. And now that you know that trauma lives in the body and it passes from generation to generation to generation until someone is able and willing to feel it, feel it and let it go. Ooh, I like that. And so if, if there has not been an environment created and conducive for people, one, to just feel your body, we are very disconnected from the experiences that happen in our body just as a culture. But that's where the trauma lives. That's also where great wisdom lives. That's where our survival strategies live. And so we're not feeling what's happening in our bodies. So when our behaviors kind of leak out of us, we are caught by, we're caught by just as much surprise as everyone else is because we weren't attuned to our bodies. So when we don't create an opportunity for people to heal for histor from historical trauma and we don't actively go in and create better, safer social conditions, then people will continue to have these adverse childhood experiences. But let's say we can't catch it, or you say, that's really big. You know, I'm just one person. When we are acknowledging that someone is manifesting behaviors um, that may signal they're a bad kid, what we can do very often is we can start the process of looking at what's going on at home. And sometimes we can't just take the child out of the home or we can't change what's happening in the home. Safety is the foundation of healing. So being a safe person for a child to be able to come to you. And we're also a very verbal society. I don't necessarily mean they have to come and talk to you. I just mean they have to be able to come to you. Sometimes they just come and sit. Sometimes they come and play. Sometimes they get a meal, right? Because you are creating safety. And so helping people build resilience from childhood trauma and adverse experiences, the people who have such a great chance are the neighborhood people who see the kids out playing all the time and can build those relationships. People who work in schools, you have such access, so many, um, so much time of the day access with them. In this, hopefully, if you're a school teacher, administrator, or worker, maybe would help us realize that our suspension and expulsions are not the answers. Because often the children who are displaying the behaviors that get them kicked out of school are displaying them because the adverse experiences are happening at home, the same place we send them. And when they can't be safe at home and they go out on the street, right, to adapt these behaviors to help them cope, we continue to villainize them instead of creating the safety within the scope of the school or the community center. Hello, church. <laughs> Here we go. Here's our place, right? Here's our place to create safety and non-judgment. Absolutely. So that they feel safe to come in as they are because you're looking at them and saying, I see your pain and I see where it comes from and your behavior makes sense. How can I help you feel safe? So when we as the church, I'm in here too, right? When we stop isolating people because of their behaviors and we bring them in because we see that that is just their language for pain, we start helping people build resilience. And really, where else would you want people to be but in the church, which is um, where safety should be? Um, a follow-up to that, though, you know, there are some of our listeners who um, have expressed spiritual trauma. Um, you know, and, and not, they don't feel safe at church. They don't feel for, for one reason or another, uh, whether I was a person in, in a position of leadership or a parishioner or just their childhood experience where, you know, uh, spiritual trauma happened. Um, 
What would you say to those people about a safe place to go in that context? That is such a great question. And I, I fall under that category of uh, there's spiritual trauma, the, the, the weaponization of the word of God. And there's also the fact that I was sexually abused in a church, right? Wow. Yeah. Um, what I meant by that, thank you for the clarification, is we are the church. I'm not even talking about the building. No, I like right? that. Yeah. COVID-19 shut the building down. <laughs> God forbid that meant the end of the church, right? Mm-hmm. No, we are the church. So I'm thinking less of physical space. It could be in your car. It can be out in the neighborhood sitting on a porch at a park. How do we bring Christ who resides in us to be the salve for the wounds of these children? To that point, these children grow up to be adults. And so we're not even just focusing on the children because our brain has this thing called neuroplasticity. It can regrow things that it has lost. So it doesn't matter if you're over 18. You can be 40 years old and resilient. One, if you're already 40 and you had ACEs, you're already resilient, let me tell you, right? Sometimes you just need help with people to point out your resilience, but you can still grow those things. So there is no time frame on when people can begin to heal and build resilience from these ACE scores. And with that, I am very thankful it makes me also want to point out this thing that drives me crazy that people um, attribute to God or the Bible and it ain't there. Well, I can't help nobody if they're not willing to help themselves mm, Yeah. or the one that really drives me crazy. God helps those who help themselves. It ain't biblical. It's not in there. No, that ain't grace. <laughs> right? So what I'm thankful for is that despite the things that I would go through, Christ died. And then he put us in position of being his people called to love above all to be able to pull people in and help them experience his love through us. And so that's how we help people build resilience. Really safe relationships with others is one of the top five, um, one the top of the top five resilience factors that help people overcome their experiences and not go on to recreate them. So never take for granted the time you spend with people um, because you are helping them build resilience. Man, you are touching on so much stuff that is just making me bounce over here in my seat because first of all, grace story, it's, it's what we're about. We're coming as we are. I can't do this on my own. I need help. I need community. I need connection. I need equipping. I know there's a need, and here I am uh, in a safe environment. So, man, you're touching on that. That's everything we're about. I love it. Um, taking this a step further for the adults, because we talked a little bit about what it's like growing up, who this affects, who's at greater risk, trying to understand the context about this. Um, the people that might take the score, and you said there's, a, there's ones, twos, things like that. It's not so bad, right? It's not so bad. Um, what about those people that are like, you know, my family's good now. We're, you know, we, we, we get along or that person that may have caused this. I, I just avoid them. You know, I'm just a one. What do you say to those people um, in that context? I say, God bless your heart. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I get it. I, I think first I want to validate the person that says that because there is a distancing we want to have from this. This isn't a badge of honor. Sometimes pain and suffering is used as a badge of honor and in, in many ways. And so I understand the, maybe the desire to distance and to minimize um, and say, well, I'm just a one. What I would say to the person who has scored low, however they define low on the ACE study, is we're not intending it to be pathological. What I will say is you can score a zero on the ACE questionnaire, which was looking for 10 specific things, and still have had experiences in your childhood that left wounds and informed how you view the world. Um, When I talk about trauma, and I try to help people understand that trauma is not an event or a series of events. 
trauma is the resulting worldviews, beliefs, and behaviors that come from those events and inform how we engage with the world. And it all lives in our bodies. So also to note, which is an ACE, but very hard for people to recognize is emotional neglect. You don't know what you didn't have. And if you grew up in a family system that just wasn't nurturing, you don't grow up thinking, I'm missing nurturing. You grow up thinking, this is how the world works. And so what I try to help people understand is this is a really great foundation. Like, I love the ACE questionnaire and the study. It is informing policy change and all of that stuff. But what I also want people to know and take away is I might not have qualified on those 10 things, but man, there were some interactions or lack of interactions that I had in my life that have really caused me to believe that this is how the world works. And what is beneficial about that knowledge is we get to go back and examine what I call our template. I am really bad at like graphic design stuff. So if you tell me, make a flyer. One, I'm going to say, can you do it? I'll pay you. (laughs) But if you tell me no, I am going to find a template because at least with the template, it tells me heading goes here, put the picture here, paragraph here. Like it tells me where everything goes and I can change the font or maybe the color, sometimes the size, but it just lays out for me how this thing is going to look. Well, growing up, we all have templates and those templates were informed by our family systems you know, growing up, all of that. And we learned what goes here and what goes there. We learned that is good, that is bad. We learned don't do that or do that. And we need those templates to survive our family systems, our neighborhoods, our social groups, our schools. Great. It is part of our survival. But then we become an adult and we're still playing out the same patterns that we needed to survive our family system. But now you have your own family system. So why is your marriage not functioning the way you want it to. Why do you keep bumping heads with your kids? When people say, you know, we keep bumping heads, I say, well, I think you're bumping templates. I think that the way you view the world is brushing up against each other. And it's not saying throw your template away. But what we do need to do is examine our own templates and say, is do I still need this? Wait a minute. Was this even mine? Is that my belief? Like, Do I have to do everything perfectly or don't start? That probably isn't yours. That's your mom. That's your dad, right? Do I have to not express my feelings when I'm hurt because it might cause a fight? Maybe not. That might not be yours. It may not be applicable. So if you are listening and you're like, hey, those 10 things you named, that's not, you know, nope, that doesn't qualify. That's okay, great. I'm I'm glad. But also now let's take let's take the biggest thing we can take from this is to say what happens in my childhood matters. And that's the biggest takeaway. Let's not devalue the experiences of our childhood and let's not let's not minimize the impact we're having on our kids when we say they'll forget, they won't remember, because the body keeps the score. And if they don't have a story a precise story or memory to wrap around what their body is feeling, then they act it out without context. And that's every child you see who's a bad kid. They are responding very naturally to their survival, and you're looking at it without context. If you saw what happened to that kid when they were four, what they're doing in 10th grade would make sense to you. And so all of this matters. That was a very long answer to your question, but hopefully. <laughs> no, there was a lot to actually unpack in what you were just talking about. Uh, I mean, you're you're bumping into each other's templates. Forget just, uh, you know, moms and dads and kids. That's a good advice for just life. As I'm interacting yeah. with others, understand they have a different template, a different mm-hmm. worldview than me. But also, I love what you said about including it. Is this my template? And, and, and what I'm putting out there, is that what? I really think, and it's okay to ask questions about your core beliefs. It's okay to ask questions because we're always adapting and it's not that you throw stuff away, 
But man, you can learn from so many. It's a big, big world. It's a big, big world. And of course, always putting that through the context of a scriptural Christ-centered worldview and using those glasses. But, you know, even that, where am I getting my information from? Am I founding it on the word? What's happening here? Is it my template or is it something I got from somewhere? Always questioning. And it's so important, Nate, because if we're honest, I think if the majority of people are honest, the word they've gotten is from people, not scripture. They trust that the word they've gotten from someone is scripturally found, but they base a lot of their worldviews off of the word that's been given to them from somebody else. And so you actually go back and read the scripture and you're like, wait, I didn't realize that word in there. The one great example that happens in my family a lot is when something unfortunate happens, whatever that means for that person, They'll say, you know what, but I'm not going to worry about it because all things work together for my good. Mm. That is not what that scripture says. That's context right there. My is not in there. Go read it, right? Mm -hmm. And so if your template is, is rooted in no matter what happens, it works together for my good, no matter what I do, you're going to make decisions saying it's going to work together for my good. You need to reassess that. Who gave me that? I love it. I always say, whose is that? Where did I learn that? Where did that come from? And going back. And I liken it to a vacuum cleaner. So if, if, whether you have a bag or kind of the, the bagless, we have a bagless one, right? And we vacuum. And first of all, you think, oh, I'm going to vacuum up the raisins my daughter's <laughs> dropped on the floor. That's the purpose. I'm vacuuming up raisins and Cheetos. That's and then it. here comes the dog hair. And here comes the... <laughs> <laughs> And you're like, ew, where did all this other stuff come from? Now, don't get me wrong. Inside of there, it sucked up an earring, um, some loose change. All of it is not garbage. And I don't want to throw all of it away. Mm, yes. I might have to reach down in there and wipe off some of that stuff and keep it because it's valuable. But some of that other stuff, I need to let that go. And that, I believe, is the true process where the true process of, of healing some of these past wounds comes from having to dig your hand in that nasty stuff to pull out what's valuable and wipe it off. And it's not easy. It's not clean. It's not fun, but man, is it worth it? Oh, and, and I love what you said there. The value, the value is still there. It never left. It's just, nope. there's going to be some work and you can't put a timeline on it, but the value does not change. Uh, jumping back to A scores because we I, I I love the conversations. It sounds like we we probably need to have you back on uh, for more <laughs> conversations. But uh, A scores, um, uh-huh. how important as a licensed professional, a licensed counselor, how important you, would you say to the layperson it is to take? Is it important for me to take this score? Because frankly, um, as a medical professional and, and having some training on this, it can be re-traumatizing just to take the the test. For some people, because you got to bring up, okay, did this happen? Did this happen? I experienced that. Yes. Like you're going back through and like experiencing it just a little bit. How important is it to take this test? And then uh, where would I take the test if I wanted to? Excellent question. So my answer is (laughs) I don't want to discourage anyone from taking the test if you want to take the test. My viewpoint, and it's a little radical, but I'm working really hard in the way I can, is I truly believe that being trauma responsive is like a universal precaution. A a universal precaution is like washing your hands, right? And I used to use other examples, but I don't have to now. I have COVID. (laughs) COVID has influenced a lot of my examples, right? You don't have to see the actual COVID molecules on something and touch it and go, oh my goodness, I need to wash my hands. No, we're starting to understand that I need to wash my hands regularly anyway because I may have come in contact with something that could have infected me. So as a universal precaution, I'm going to wash my hands and avoid touching my face. The ACE score is where the ACE score and questionnaire I think is very valuable. Are places like schools and the emergency room and all these places when people are trying to figure out how do we support this person, right? Oh, they have an A score of this. 
And that explains, that gives some context to how they're responding and it informs our treatment. But as a universal precaution, I truly believe that if all of these institutions that were intended to help people truly understood that in some way, shape, or form, we have all had experiences that are influencing how we show up today, then that is the lens through which we offer all of our services. It can be traumatic, I think, for people to take this questionnaire. Because one question may be, did I have a, a, like a mother figure or someone in my life? You know, I can't remember how it's worded. But that could really send someone into this, this you know, grief, shame spiral, or all of these different things. I think, again, for me, one of the biggest things to take away in the importance is that when we have experiences in our lives as children, it, it informs our template and we are acting out our template every day. That being said, if someone does take the ACE questionnaire and start to realize that they have whatever they consider to be a high score, don't freak out. Don't panic. However old you are, you've lived that long, right? So this is not now that I find out, oh, my God, death is tomorrow. But what it does hopefully provide you with is some context for why things in your life may be playing out that way. And then you can say, okay, how, how do I seek services to help me with this? If you're looking for where do I go to take the ACE questionnaire, Google, right? Google. Google ACE questionnaire, and there you go. However, you may have already come in contact with this if you've gone to your primary care physician. I mean, they are starting to introduce the ACE questionnaire in a lot of places. I um, took my children to the doctor for their follow-up, you know, for their yearly appointment, and they're now starting to introduce these questions. And they're not all asked in the same way. The goal is not to incite shame or panic, but they want to know, hey, I'm, I'm, invest, I'm, I'm a doctor and a nurse looking at this child. They also want to know, are these adverse experiences happening so that they can put things in place immediately? Because when we talked about early intervention being key, what better place than our doctors, our pediatricians, and our schools? And so you may already have come in contact with an ACE questionnaire, to be honest. Um, it just may not have been self self-taken and self-recorded. Um, but that number, like your weight or your credit score, at least for me, I say they don't, it doesn't define you, but it informs yes. your next step, yes. which is how might I move forward to seek healing from things that I didn't even realize were there. And going back to something, thank you so much as a medical professional for the PSA on hand washing. Some things we take for granted. Um, that people should know, but yes, washing your hands, the number one way to not transmit diseases of any sort. And as far as PPE or uh, personal protective equipment, those universal, universal precautions, you know, I've, I've seen my mom uh, has been an emergency department nurse for 27 years. She remembers when they did not use gloves. Um, I entered the scene in 2008 uh, in the emergency department, and I've never known a world without gloves. Um, but I can tell you as a nurse, if I go towards my patient without having those gloves on and I go to start an IV or put a needle in, they're asking me, why aren't you wearing gloves? It's an expectation. It's a universal precaution. It's uh, not a suggestion anymore. It's let's do this. Um, but I love that you say these, these back to the scores, they don't define you. They, it's just your next step. It helps you. It's a tool. Use it as a tool. Um, so what that next step, what is that? I know my score. What is the next step? Read a book? Uh, where do I go? What's my next step? Um, I, I think there are a lot of options. And what's constantly, not every option is for every person, right? Um, I am a therapist. I highly advocate that therapy is a wonderful, fantastic tool um, to help. Uh, explore these past experiences and continue to build upon the resilience that you have. But there are a number of barriers for some people to therapy, financial, time, stigma, 
right? And so with that, what I would say is foundational is community and relationships. And so that may be a local church. It may be a group. It may be a group within your local church. You know, it may be reaching out to um, having someone safe that you can talk to, right? Um, community and relationship. Healing happens in relationship. That's just how it happens. And so finding ways to be in relationship. Now, my asterisk to that is your cousin Susan, <laughs> right? Don't overburden cousin Susan because you found out your ace fork. She's not a therapist. She's right? got her own stuff. Or someone. She has her own stuff. And you talking about yours might activate hers, right? And so we want to be safe in relationship. But this is what I say to people when they say therapy isn't for everyone. And I say that is fine. Not that I believe it, um, <laughs> but that is fine. If you are a person who is saying that, then please don't use your pastor, the deacon, your husband, your children, or your cousin as a therapist. If you're going to tell me therapy ain't for everybody, I will, I will say, okay. But what's not okay is to say that and then try to use people who are not equipped with the skills and capacity to hold what you're bringing and try to use them in that surrogate position. There are a lot of books um, that are helpful. Um, and so just being able to, I, I did, I recommended um, The Body Case Before. There is a book called Gifts from a Challenging Childhood yes. by Jan yes. Bergstrom. So that can be very, very helpful. Um, and so there's a number of, of books that you can read. Um, even if you say um, therapy is not for me, reaching out for a consultation to a therapist may be at least a helpful way to say, hey, I got this A score. Can you please recommend some resources so that it's more specifically attuned to your personal needs? And so I offer these generally, um, but I will, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, I offer a free consultation, right, for potential clients. And I've had some people who say, you know, I just kind of need help with where to go next, right? That's part of what we're here for, to point you in that direction, because the key is you're not in this alone. Do not underestimate the power of prayer and your spiritual walk. But I, I caution you not to fall into maybe this narrative that that's all I need, right? I think that there are a lot of things that can be additive and complementary and supplementary to your spiritual journey and walk that are very Christ-centered and Christ-led. Um, that can help you get that healing. There are those of us who are true believers who practice therapy. And so you can be very selective um, with whom you work with and, and things like that. But I would say those are some good starts. Absolutely. I agree 100%. God's given us some specific tools to be used correctly, but he's also gifted some people uh, that have dedicated their lives professionally to be able to walk us, uh, you know, through our journey of restoration and help walk with us. Now, the one question we had from our, um, uh, and this will be my last question for you. Um, we had from one of our listeners, they, they messaged us and asked, what are some tips for how to have a healthy mindset while I'm healing from trauma? You're going through a negative time, a deep time, a hurtful time. What are some tips for me to have a healthy mindset to get through that trauma as I heal? Oh, that's a really, I, whoever asked that question, that's an awesome question. I love it. Um, so I will say a couple of things. Um, one, our brains are naturally oriented toward the negative. Why? Because our brain's top three priorities are to keep us alive, keep us safe, and help us avoid pain. And so with those three things in mind, we will notice the negative thing because that could be dangerous. So part of a healthy mindset is one intentionality. We have to intentionally set our minds towards healthy and positive because it's going to err on the side of caution and danger. Two, gratitude. Gratitudes are a foundation to helping yourself have a healthy, positive mindset. So when, like, Literally, scripture talks about gratitude all the time, but the, bio, the neurobiological benefits, when we are 
focused on what we're grateful for. When we're thinking it or saying it out loud, it releases dopamine. And dopamine can counteract the cortisol that stress often brings in our life. And so if you find yourself having a hard moment, and the thing about trauma work is you are exploring the things of the past, right? These hurtful, harmful, traumatic, you know, scary things. So that work can be very difficult. Um, And so when we intentionally say, what's going well? What am I thankful for? Who am I thankful for? And as we begin to think about those things, our body begins to respond to the gratitude. What I tell people all the time is your brain does not know the difference between what's actually happening and what you think on what's happening. How do you know this? You ever had a dream when you're being chased by a dog or anything? Sure. You wake up panting, sweating. Were you running? No. Those dreams were unfollowing. My goodness. Oh my goodness. You wake up panicked. That's because your brain was thinking about it or ruminating on it or envisioning it. And your body will always follow suit to that. And so if you are prone to thinking on the negative, your body's responding, which means you'll probably go into your fight or flight or you may even freeze. But when we intentionally set our mind to think about the positive things, sometimes you can sit and be thinking about a happy memory and you don't even notice it. And someone may say to you, what are you smiling about? You didn't even realize you were smiling. But because you were thinking on those things, so whatever is good and pure and true, Scripture tells us, think on those things. It tells us that because we can get that dopamine and we can set our course towards this positive, healthy thinking. And I mean, I think even just starting there is huge. Um, One final thought is um, constantly evaluating what can I control and what can I not control. Yes. And once you have those things separated, focus on the things you can with gratitude and your body will respond. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And thank you, LaShonda, for being on the episode today. Uh, I'd love to have you back in the future for another episode. There's so much more that we probably could have broken down. Uh, But thank you so much for being here on this episode. It is my pleasure. I will be more than willing to come back anytime. I thank you to you um, and to Amber and to the listeners and to everybody at Grace Story. Ryan, I just appreciate you all and love being connected to you and being able to collaborate with you. Awesome. You know, uh, if you haven't already headed over to the Grace Story community page, uh, LaShonda did um, a live instructor um, session on there about grounding. And really that follows up with what she said about being intentional um, and being in tune with your your body and what you're feeling. Um, so uh, if you haven't already, head on over to the uh, GraceStoryMinistries.com. That Grace Story community page is exclusive for our Grace Story uh, Ministry subscribers. So go over there and subscribe with your email, and you can join in on all the conversation, new experts uh, every other week. Well, we're going to be back in two weeks with more for your journey of restoration. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.